Welcome to the Motor Involved Podcast. We are with Pat McKenna, MidiUSA's Head of Product, Events, and Marketing. We are going to be talking about the recently refreshed Mini Countryman that was uh, that debuted in November of last year. We're also going to be touching on the Oxford edition and that new entry point into the brand, uh, $20,000 Mini that so, so many of us have been waiting for. Then we're going to get into some of the, the history that Pat has with Mini and, and some of the things that we've always wanted to talk about, some of them off record for a long time. We get to actually talk about them today, including, of course, the uh, diesel, uh, the, the diesel that never made it to the United States, and all sorts of other things, steel wheels, you'll love it. Uh, we're going to dive right in because, of course, Pat and I just kind of start talking. We can't help ourselves. So enjoy. So yes. I think it's a good segue. I mean, we're, you know, you were, you were just talking about your JCW club and I have a JCW club in, and I love what was done in the LCI last year to that car. And what a lot of those things that were done to it that I love so much have now been done to the F60, the Countryman. Um, tell us a little bit about, we know that there's a, there's a, there's a new face to it. You know, there's a, a new front bumper, rear bumper, new lights. Uh, you know, there's, there's various uh, bits and pieces inside, including the new cluster, um, that's changed as well as some of the trim around the other, around the center instrument. But what are the things about the new countrymen that we might not know have changed? Well, I think just to, to put it into context. So when, so when you think about, you know, my role and, and the role of our awesome product team at mini USA, it's to advocate for the United States. It's to, it's to give, I always describe it as kind of a United Nations, uh, and again, that's something that's not happening in person. But, you know, when you when we go to Munich, it's like a United Nations. It's it's literally many managers from around the world. I mean, from really exotic places. It's 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 pretty amazing uh, thing that happens and everyone comes together and everyone basically talks about what they need for their markets. And um, and it's actually where I have recruited some of my product managers in the past from South Africa or our current uh, Ishan Katri comes from. He came from mm -hmm. India and I recruit them at these kind of, you know, uh, United really? Nations sessions. Yeah. So I, I look at those. Yeah, I look at those situations as, you know, let me find the smartest guy in the room and let me see if he wants to he or she wants to come to America and and live the American dream. And I've done it twice. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. I digress. Those are the meetings where we say, here's what we need for the U.S. market. And what we have been asking for is more ruggedness, you know, more rugged appearance. Um, you know, we've gone through the exercises of, you know, let's lift it. Let's put bigger wheels on it. Let's put, you know, let, let's really make it rugged. And that runs into challenges pretty quickly. It runs into challenges mm -hmm. in terms of fuel economy. It runs into issues with, you know, how the vehicle performs uh, in in safety ratings, you know, when you lift it, uh, because there's mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of engineering that goes into the car um, in its current form. It's tested in every conceivable way. And it's tested mm -hmm. in the United States, in Europe, in Asia to conform to rules all around the world. Um, so for this car, for this for the countrymen, we definitely wanted to go 
uh, a more rugged appearance. And I think they did a, a masterful job with it because, you know, I think it does give, you know, some, as they say, the designers would say, it gives it more verticality. I think just with the way mm-hmm. they changed the bumper and the uh, the components of the bumper, it does give it this kind of taller, kind of beefier look. I love the new sage green uh, color, yeah. you know, especially with the, the malt brown. Uh, the digital instrument cluster brings it up. You know, I would say the thing that people don't know is, um, you know, the work, again, that we on the product side put into we wanted to increase the value proposition. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that's uniquely American, so to speak, because every market does their own pricing. And we built in roughly an $1,100 savings because what we were able to do was to bring down the entry cost, if you will, of Apple CarPlay uh, mm-hmm. and, and some of those corresponding uh, elements. And that's important because, and that's also dealer feedback and feedback from customers. It's, Hey, you know, Apple CarPlay, I can get on other cars as standard. We're not able to to do that. There are hard costs. One thing that, mm-hmm. um, that is a situation that we have to be realistic about is, um, to have Apple CarPlay, you need certain hardware in the car. So it's hard for us to then just mm-hmm. say, okay, we're just going to give this away at no cost. But taking that price down, that entry level price of getting that equipment by $1,100, um, if you show model year 20 versus 21 for like for like, it has that kind of savings built in. So um, so that, that I would say is what's uniquely American. And that's what maybe mm-hmm. people didn't realize you know, what happens behind the scenes in order to to make that happen. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I think uh, it's one thing that clearly if, if, if I were to go back and read Motoring File uh, and, and take a look at some of the updates you guys have made around products specifically to the U.S. market, it's clear that you've been focused on really, really building more value. Uh, across the range. And I think that, uh, to your point, the, you know, the F60, the countryman is part of it. Um, I would say that you guys started doing that a couple of years ago with the, the kind of the radical rethink of the, the options and the packages and the, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, the iconic pack for instance, and, and really trying to drive more value and simplicity in the ordering system. Uh, for dealers and, and customers alike, how has that gone? And and kind of you know thinking it back to the conversation we had maybe two years ago, I know it's probably been in the in the makings for two to three years at least. Um, now you have a lot of data on that. How's that gone? It's gone extremely well, and I'll I'll just take you down memory lane. Um, I actually I'm coming up on my 10 year anniversary with Mini. Um, on December 1st. So I started December 1st, 2010. Mm-hmm. And the first car that I had was an R57 convertible. And uh, it was a Friday night. It was late. And I got in and I was trying to figure out how to how to do Bluetooth. And I, I remember getting out of the car, getting on my hands and knees and crawling around looking to see um, if it had the capability for Bluetooth. And um, it turns out it didn't. And that's why I was driving that car because it was undesirable (laughs) because it didn't have Bluetooth. So one of the first things I did um, 
and it was a, a little controversial at the time, but we took out satellite radio, uh, which was standard at that time, and we put in Bluetooth standard. Um, and I think we've been on a path. And, and what would be interesting to look to see over the 10 years, and this is this is going to be amazing to think about, we we had to put in floor mats as standard. You used to have to pay for those. Arm mm-hmm. center armrest mm-hmm. was two hundred fifty dollars. Um, yeah. So we've been on this progression, and sometimes it would be to you know to benefit user studies like IQS. Mm-hmm. But we have we've had a good track record of continually adding equipment on, and you're going to see that even. Uh, Early next year, we're going to do that again in a pretty significant way. And uh, coming back to these discussions that we have um, with Munich, we're also talking about how can we limit the number of, you know, variants? How can we simplify, um, you know, with, you know, maybe we upgrade, you know, uh, a technology and maybe we don't have an entry level technology anymore. I'm being a little bit mm-hmm. vague. But to come back to your point about trim levels, we made a big step to go to a trim level approach um, because we found that a lot of the cars were getting built, um, for lack of a better term, Frankenstein cars. Either they were built with, mm-hmm. you know, mismatches or. Uh, maybe they were getting built and they were $500 away from the next, from having a much better uh, built car. You know, so mm-hmm. to give you an example, like we used an example of a, you know, someone who built out a Cooper and just loaded it up and they didn't realize that if they had just built uh, a Cooper S, it would have been a better value. So I think the trim level right. has simplified things. And the trim level, I would say the big surprise for us is that it has skewed towards um, signature and iconic. It has skewed towards people putting more really? equipment on the car. And I think that's because it gets to a point where I would call it, you might as well, you know, the yeah. you, you're building out a car. Well, you might as well just for another $500, you're going to get all this extra equipment <clears throat> in this next trim level. So, so that's how we kind of, so that's mm-hmm. the long answer. You're always going to get a long answer from me, but that's the 10-year <laughs> answer. Well, you went back 10 years, Pat. I mean, I, I'm surprised that you ended at this point with the, with the, with the answer. I mean, that's, that's a lot to cover. But I think, I think that to your point, though, you know, Mini has gone from – and it's funny because, you know, a lot of listeners who read Motor File, uh, a lot of people who, you know, have followed Mini for a long time, you know, those enthusiasts look at it two ways. They look at it as, you know, value and like, why in God's name do I have to pay, you know, for an armrest or why in God's name do I have to pay for, you know, car play or whatever. Um, and then there's the other, and it's a much smaller group, but it's also much more vocal as you know, the other group that says, I don't want an armrest, you know, are you kidding me? Like, why, why do I need that? I don't want, um, you know, this and that because, you know, it makes the car more complex, et cetera. And I think that there has been, you know, some of that vocal minority that is definitely, I suspect, has to has to had to get used to this new ordering system because they that they would build Frankenstein cars because they probably appreciated that, you know, weird color combination or they appreciated the super like high spec car with like, you know, the standard radio, for instance. Um, so I'm sure you probably have a few stories of people who are complaining around that that type of scenario, but I also suspect they're, they're probably pretty few and far between. Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't hear much of that. And I will say, um, 
I, I think about I, I'm I'm a frugal person by nature. And I would say I was the guy who was always specking just the car with a manual transmission and heated seats to see, you know, what would that entry level price be? Um, and, you know, that was always kind of the voice I would bring to these meetings you know, as we looked at it, but I think you can't deny the value proposition, even for a frugal person to say, okay, um, there's definitely value in some of these features. Um, and I think the way we've addressed that audience, uh, I think is really the Oxford edition because the Oxford edition is really, uh, you know, and I think it's showing that it is bringing back some of our, you know, our, our, you know, it's a, it's a win back. It's bringing back someone may who may have left the mini brand, um, and it brings back that value proposition. It brings back an attractive point, but you still get the equipment. And now, fortunately, on a lot of the models, you can put a manual transmission in. You know, so they they can get kind of what they want. Um, but that is. You know, and, and the way that we were able to do that is uh, and I think you and I may have spoken about this before, but, you know, that car doesn't have sales incentives on it. And it's it's a very streamlined approach. So mm -hmm. if you want to to really get that attractive price point, you know, there's not going to be um, special sales incentives on mm -hmm. it. You really have to you know, be clever about how you, you know, yeah. you, you do your own financing. And that's a that's a really so it, it's an interesting point you bring up. Is the Oxford edition the future of the way many sells cars? You know, bundling a lot and offering that streamlined price. I don't think so, and I think it really is. It's really trying to serve that small part of the market that you're describing. Like, what about that? Like, let's just call it the lower ten percent. It, it may not even be ten percent, but it's like. The, the the real value shopper that will only buy if there's something like a compelling offer that is in a particular MSRP kind of you know window, I think it satisfies that customer. But I don't think that we don't envision Oxford being, let's say, more than 10 percent of our business because, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's a unique offering. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's something that is meant for that entry level buyer or someone who is, you know, uh, you know, someone who is, you know, mindful and has a certain budget level on their car. Mm -hmm. As you know, it was originally mm -hmm. geared towards college students, later military, and we opened it up. But it still has that, you know, kind of limited appeal. Like we don't want to make it. Yeah. We don't want to make it too attractive. But it is an interesting dynamic of, you know. You know, it's it's taking a more aggressive uh, sales price and we're able to do that because we take out the the sales incentives on it. So we're kind of passing along the savings in a yeah. different way to the customer. Yeah, I think it's I think it's awesome to see a mini offered for under twenty thousand dollars. I'll just say that as as a fan, as somebody who, you know, I think in my past probably romanticized the notion of a of a of a you know, $20,000 manual Cooper as just like a great, great car. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, the most bang for your buck you could possibly get out there. I think it's cool to see that price point back. And, and actually just, uh, again, going down memory lane, one of the first things I worked on, um, 
back to with Vinny Kung in the early days was trying to get to that, you know, 18 or $19,000 price point. And I'll tell you the, the way that we were constructing it at the time was taking out everything, no multifunction steering wheel, no storage package, no armrest. Um, we, uh, we always wanted to make sure that we didn't go for lower horsepower. So we wanted to protect that. Um, that was actually something Jim McDowell was adamant about. He says, do not take any horsepower out of the car. That was his only vote <laughs> in the discussion. We actually started looking at steel wheels and hubcaps, believe it or not, or steel really? wheels. Yeah. Really? And we looked at steel wheels, but to put in the tire pressure monitor into the steel wheels was a fortune for us from a development standpoint. But when we started to share it with some dealers, dealers were like, this isn't a mini. Like, you know, when you strip out all like this is a premium car. So fast forward to the Oxford, you're under 20, but you have all of this equipment. Like I can proudly put that car in front of you and be like, this is a fantastic car. This has got a lot of equipment in it and it's under 20. So it's, you know, I think we've mm -hmm. come a long way in solving this same uh, the same challenge from 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think we finally figured out how to do it. And the way we did it ultimately was, hey, let's just take the sales incentives out of out of the equation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's how we can kind of, you know, make it make mm -hmm. it happen. That's awesome. I, I want I have to say, since we're going back in time, I have to ask this question, and I'm sure that not a lot of people remember this or even care, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How close did the United States get to to actually getting and offering a diesel mini? It was all I worked on for years. Um, from the time I came to mini, it was my and, and I still have all my electronic files to prove it. Um, but I petitioned really hard for a diesel uh, countryman, and it was green lighted for quite a long time. The challenge was always, um, how do you package it? How do you package it? And it's very expensive. But the packaging was an issue. Like we were figuring out, you know, how to put in the urea tanks. So basically mm -hmm. the add blue, uh, which is which is necessary, the urea injection into the exhaust and I'll tell you this because years have passed. Um, that was going to we wanted to, we were adamant that that tank be um, concurrent with your service intervals for your oil. So we mm -hmm. had to insist on that tank getting big. Now I'm probably getting into way too much detail, but we wanted to make sure that it wasn't inconvenient for you, you know, to have to come in more often than when you would come in for an oil change. Uh, so that was one of the things. And then the SCR technology, the selective catalytic reduction technology, mm -hmm. it was that's really expensive. Um, and I shouldn't mention this, but I will. And I won't name the other manufacturer, but I would go to dealer meetings and they would say, well, how come that other company has diesels and yeah. it's no problem for them? And they used what was called scrubber technology. And I said, mm -hmm. I can't answer. I can just only tell you that for us to hit U.S. regulations, we have to use all this packaging um, mm -hmm. and then actually about a year before that other scandal happened, it we started to really see the business case fall away. Uh, so it wasn't mm -hmm. a result of that, but it was basically looking at gas prices 
and gas prices coming down mm-hmm. was really part of the the demise of it because you know part yeah. of what you're selling is you pay a premium for the diesel because you have the cost efficiencies but if mm-hmm. gas is really cheap and diesel is expensive it that that consumer business case it becomes really hard to uh, you know to to convey that is fascinating. And, and I can I can definitely back you up on that. I don't know if it was you that I spoke about. It may I spoke to it may have been uh, or somebody on the BMW side asking that exact same question around. Well, how is this other company able to do uh, yeah. do this for, you know, uh, for less or I should say, at least without the ad blue and, you know, some of the other uh, the bits and pieces that were so expensive. And, and clearly now, in retrospect, we we know why, but uh, maybe yes. that's a, that's another <laughs> podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and dealers weren't um, very. Right so I do. So dealers were like, "Well, yeah. how come they can do it? Like, what's wrong with you guys? You know, dummies." <laughs> yeah, well, and it's interesting because you know I think we forget, but the 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 amount of uh, products that were sold small, I'll say small four door wagons that were sold by that other company. Uh, with diesel engines and, and other uh, other products like that was it was sizable at the time yeah, and so sure. uh, it's interesting and, and obviously that ship has passed and you know gone are the days that we get emails and comments on Motorfell asking about it but I did want to bring it up because I, it feels like it's a good time to maybe even bookend that in a sense um, that that time period I do want to flip to another car that's new or. I should say it's it's been out. It's kind of new to a lot of folks, and and that's the GP, which of course is the the halo product for the brand. Uh, the you know in a lot of ways the ultimate mini. I just uh, had one for a week and drove it uh, everywhere I could think of to you know to to get a sort of wrap my head around it. And I have to admit it is it is a very different GP than what we've had before. Um, you know, before we had two, two different GPs that were not about power. They were about finesse and they were about, you know, feel and feedback. And this is a car that has enormous amounts of power. And, uh, it, it you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it overwhelms the experience, but it certainly o- overwhelms the driver at times because it is all going through those two tires up front. Can you talk a little bit about some of the thinking behind it? Uh, and, and, you know, obviously with the automatic transmission and this being a very different GP and still successful, obviously it seems to be uh, sold out everywhere. Um, but what was the, the concept and, and how did we get to a GP that has so much power so fast and so different than the others? I think it really comes back to um, the fact that we really do view it as a halo for the brand. And it was I can remember discussions that we had where the board member responsible for Mini would sit down with with our dealer council. So, so sit down with a group of American dealers and he would say, you know, what if I could deliver you a, you know, um, a amazing halo car um with tremendous horsepower you know is that something you'd be interested in and every dealer raised their hand and said yes you know so not too surprising but i think it's an example where i think it's a car that was was built for you know the soul of the brand you know i think uh you know it's it's a car that um like you and I have discussed in the past, it it does go to that extra limit of we've never had 301 horsepower in that package 
in a front wheel drive car. Um, and that same board member who would then drive the prototype car, you know, was just smiling ear to ear. And he's like, you know, this thing is chirping in third gear, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, just had a big smile on his face. And so I think it's, you know, it's important to to just think about it from that perspective of, you know, it's it's paying attention to the, the GP legacy. And like you said, in the past, um, you know, I was here for GP, too. Um, there were not as many differences from a horsepower standpoint. Uh, you know, as we have in this environment. And I also think, again, going back and forth to discussions you and I have had, you know, for someone who's a real purist and wants a manual, I'm thrilled we still have the JCW Mm -hmm. today because you do have to choose. Do I want that extra power or do Mm -hmm. I want to, is, is rowing my own gears so important to me yeah. that I just want to stay. And and I think that's that's a completely fair uh, – that's a decision that only a mini enthusiast can make. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because one of the things that occurred to me after spending a lot of time in the GP is just how good the standard JCW is with the manual transmission. And I don't mean that as a slight against the GP, but it, it, I think it puts that car in context or it did for me. You know, it's got less horsepower for sure. But it's it's way more of a of an old school, you know, sort of purist type of experience. And and I think for those who do bemoan that that automatic transmission, the GP, you know, I, I would just and I will say it in my review, I'll just, I just say just look at look at what many has to offer in the JCW right now. Um, it's, it's more horsepower than a GP before it way more capable. And it's got that old school, you know, combination of manual transmission and front wheel drive. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you say those, those things. And obviously, um, if, if you offer dealers more power, they'll, they'll always jump at the jump at the, the chance. And, and in, this, in this case, obviously, they were right because they sold out. I think pretty quickly there may be one or two still sitting around over MSRP. But it seems to me that it's been a, a pretty big hit. Yeah, it's been a huge hit. And we, you know, we did a pre-order system. So this I think the value of the pre-order system, it gets the cars to where they need to be. I think some dealers were clever about using the pre-order system and becoming a customer. That's that's, you know, some of the, yeah. the cars you see out there. Um, but on the Figured. other end of the spectrum, I'm just as excited as the 1499 GT, because here you have a twenty seven thousand yeah. dollar manual transmission, three cylinder Cooper. It looks fantastic. It's got the aesthetics of a mm-hmm. JCW. Um, I'm excited about that car because, again, uh, you know, 134 horsepower, but but being able to to row through that power with a manual transmission mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. You know, so I think yeah, you know, yeah. I think I think your point of there's something for everyone. That car is getting a lot of really good feedback. That's mm-hmm. twenty seven thousand dollars. You have the GP on the top end of the spectrum. You have the JCW somewhere in the middle. Like I really do think like we. You know, we're we have the Patty Hopkirk edition. You know, yeah. we have, you know, like we're there. There's something I don't want to say something for everyone. It's within our little microcosm, mm-hmm. but we're super proud of the fact that we have this variability. Mm-hmm. Um. So I know we only have a, a few minutes left, and I really appreciate your. Uh, 
you know, it's, it's fantastic to, to, to connect on all these things. And, and I know Wondering File readers and listeners love to, to hear from you around the product and, and it helps put a lot of it in perspective. I think one thing that a lot of folks are talking about right now is, of course, the vision car, the concept car that just came out. And uh, while I'm not sure if there's a lot to, to say about it, I am curious to hear your thoughts on it, the Urbanaut. And it's a, uh, a very different type of car, even in concept form that we've seen from many before. Yeah, so I think, you know, one one point is anytime you see a concept that that has vision in the name, this is really the designers really looking to flex their muscles and to see, okay, what is possible? You know, so sometimes we'll show a concept and it's within 90 over 90% close to, you know, production. When we do a vision concept, so that would be like Rocket Man, for example, or like some of the other, you know, things that we've done over the years. And this one is is kind of an example of that. You know, it's the designers thinking about what if, you know, what if you could have kind of a small, you know, I hate to use the word minivan because I think that doesn't do mm-hmm. it justice, but a really just cool um you know, concept that really plays with, you know, lighting, uh, plays with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, innovative use of like, you know, like a sky roof, you know, innovative use of like, um, you know, this, the, the ceiling to, mm-hmm. to kind of light it and project, you know, so I think it really is something that pushes us out of our comfort zone and kind of thinks about, uh, to the future. One thing I'll say is, even though we don't talk about the driving characteristics, these, I would say these future EV concepts inherently are fun to drive for two reasons. Um, the, the skateboard, if you will, kind of the platform of an electric vehicle allows the wheels to be pushed to the corners, you know, mm-hmm. so of course you still have the safety regulations, et cetera, but that inherently gives you kind of like a great you know, a go-kart handling, right? And mm-hmm. then you have the instant mm-hmm. torque of an EV. So although we didn't talk that much about the driving characteristics, I have no doubt yeah. it will always be a mini in its in the way it drives. Yeah, that suits the character of the brand so well. Uh, last last question, and, and and I know this is going to be a very quick answer for you from you, Pat. Um, we've seen what is clearly some variation of the GP running around. Any comment on that? And I say running around the Nurburgring testing with with obvious cues that there may be something other than a petrol powered engine under the hood. The only thing I will say is. Um, that mystery will be solved early next year. <laughs> okay. okay. And I probably even, we, we will. Um, so there is, there's an interesting story behind it. Um, I, uh, you know, I do think, uh, I do think we'll be able to say something about it. Uh, I would, I would caution you from jumping to conclusions, but I think, I think there might be some interesting things coming uh for that con or that idea um mm-hmm. next year so nothing to comment on today okay. um but as you've seen when time passes i can be a lot more expressive after a statute <laughs> of limitations i can tell you everything you want to know about the diesel uh countryman that right. we considered now that it's you know five to seven years later 
Right. Well, then we're, we're going to we're going to I'm going to hold you to this in 2025. We're going to have a deep, yes. deep conversation yeah. about, about yeah. this car. I'll, I'll tell you everything about this car in five years at your calendar. Um, awesome. No, but there's. Uh, well, yeah. Let's just say stay tuned on that one. We can't really say mm-hmm. anything about it, but um, but next year there 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 there's there's kind of a, a an interesting story behind it. Fair enough. Well, I, I appreciate your time greatly, Pat. It's it's always a pleasure. Uh, this isn't as uh, as fun as doing it in person, maybe next to a racetrack, but it's it's still fantastic to catch up with you. Great to see you, Gabe. Great to uh, I'll just say hello to everyone out there, uh, to all the maniacs, and thank you for keeping your spirits up. And we are still on for Mini Takes the States next summer, so. Um, I wish I could announce that we're giving everyone a vaccine to come on Mini Takes the States, but (laughs) I'm not prepared to do that just yet. Um, There's your headline. Um, But we are just, but I think we just have so much pent up, um, I I was going to say pent up demand for for physical community. Um, I got out to Minis on Top earlier this year. That was the only mini event that I attended. I also attended the delivery of GP number one uh, up in Albany, uh, New York. Um, And going to Minis on Top was fantastic. And everyone was masked up. Everyone was really, uh, everyone social distanced. That was a really great experience uh, for us. Um, And I just want to get out there and, and hang with Miniacs. So hopefully next summer, uh, that's that's hopefully when we can get back to that. So until right. then, you know, it's, it's virtual all the way. So great to spend time with you, Gabe. All right. Same, Pat. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Big thanks to Pat McKenna for sitting down with us and, and talking about really almost anything we could have wanted. Um, and as you can imagine, since this was recorded late last year, the announcement has now been made subsequently that there will be no MTTS in 2021. It will be postponed and pushed to 2022. So uh, obviously uh, a bit of change of plans, but on the bright side, a lot to, a lot to look forward to. Uh, we're going to be talking more about the 2022 minis. Of course, that means the refreshed hatch convertible and four door. That's the big news for, of course, this year. And there's some other surprises coming as well. So until then, stay tuned and keep reading more